Welcome to Climb Your Mountain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use coaching, neuroscience, and mindfulness to overcome life's challenges. I'm Sarah Maurer, a certified life and performance coach, breathwork facilitator, and trance geek. Each week, I show you how to change your brain fast for good and without struggle. Whether you're training to climb an actual mountain, building a business, dating, or planning a fucking rebellion, these tools will help. Listen and learn so you can enjoy more of what you want. Happiness, fun, connection, creativity, courage, and the occasional mountaintop moment. Ready? Let's do this. Hey, my dumbass people. How are you doing? I am so good and also like so tired, to be honest. Um, I've been, if you've been following me on Instagram, traveling to Southwest Colorado for most of September. I've been gone every weekend trying to finish up my 14ers. So I have been to Lake City twice and then to Chicago Basin. I've checked off three 14ers, which is probably more than I've done in the past few years. And it just feels amazing. It's been a lot of traveling, a lot of driving, a lot of hanging out in the car with people, a lot of climbing, and it's just been amazing. We had really good luck, um, great weather with all three trips. I was with awesome people, and I just feel so happy and so, like, blessed to be out there. And it's kind of special because this last trip, which was the hardest trip, actually fell on my COVIDversary. I never know what to call it. My COVID anniversary, um, about one year to the week when I probably got sick with COVID in a few days before I started showing symptoms a year ago. So it was pretty special to be able to climb, like to to hike like 16 miles, climb 5,000 feet, especially as someone who's been exercise intolerant for most of this year. I was always afraid to exercise because it would just make my symptoms worse. It would just like knock me off a cliff, make me feel fatigued, make my heart beat really fast. So it's been amazing to be able to start to do some harder things, even if I do them really slowly. And that's actually what today's podcast is all about. Since it's been a year, I thought it might be interesting just to kind of walk through my COVID journey. And I'm going to share seven lessons that I've learned in the past year. Because man, (laughs) if as they say in personal development, development, your your struggles, your obstacles are the curriculum of your expansion. I feel like I've gotten a PhD this year. Nothing has like stretched me and expanded me and cracked me open like this year. All the things that have happened in a big part of that was having this chronic illness and just having so much happen in my mind around who am I if I can't exercise all the time, if I can't be outside all the time. Um, my, my friendships really took a big shuffle. I'll talk a little bit about that. Like my priorities really got shuffled and I just grew so much as a person. So although (laughs) I would never like wish this on someone, including myself, and I kind of hate the whole silver lining mentality where people feel kind of forced before they're ready to like go out and find the silver lining in an event like having a chronic illness, a major life event like that. I do kind of feel like I'm coming to a place where I can see some of the ways it really has expanded me, helped me grow. And I think even if you don't have a chronic illness, I hope there's some lessons in here for you 
you. And if you are actively walking this path, if you have long COVID, another chronic illness, I do hope that there will be something in here that is hope-giving, that is helpful, that is encouraging. So uh, to start with, I'm just going to kind of walk you through kind of the timeline of what's happened to me with long COVID. I I can't even keep track of it myself sometimes. So if you've been trying to patch it together through Instagram posts or whatever, or if you've just come into my world more recently, here it is from start to finish. I'll take you through the whole year quickly. So last September 27th, I was actually headed to Crested Butte to run the Crested Butte Ultra. I was going to run the 50 mile. And I noticed as I was getting ready, I felt like I had some cold and flu symptoms. Um, And it felt like a really weird cold. It wasn't like anything I had ever felt before. I had a really sore throat. Um, I had heart palpitations. I had like weird aches like in my body and especially like in my gut. There was like little twinges of pain that I'm still not exactly sure what that was, but they were all over the place. I'm guessing they were lymph node inflammation or something like that. I had like, it almost felt like a urinary tract infection. I actually like was like, should I go to the doctor and get it tested? I feel like I have to pee all the time and it's burny. And then brain fog, chills, and I don't know, it was weird, but it wasn't so far out of like a normal flu that I was that worried. And I didn't even think about COVID because at the time, like almost the COVID numbers, we didn't realize this was the beginning of that big wave of COVID that happened last fall. I was kind of on the front end of that. I didn't realize that people at my mom's assisted living had also been diagnosed with COVID. But um, yeah, I didn't even think of COVID just because at the time, like no one I knew had had it for so long. It just seemed like it wasn't even a thing. So anyway, went to Crested Butte, was feeling crappy, but decided I'm not going to run the 50 mile, but maybe Maybe I'll run the 30K, which is 20 miles. And yeah, ran that while I was sick. It felt so bad while I was running it. I felt like my throat was like swelling shut. It was like so sore and painful. Wanted to drop out. But by the time I finally got to an aid station, I, w- I only had like five miles left. So I'm like, I'm just going to finish it. And I always like wonder to this day, if I had not run this race, that race, would it have been different? Like, it was that the thing that like kicked me off the cliff and you know, I'll never know, I don't think. But anyway, so went home, got a little better over the next month, and then got a second really bad viral infection a month later. I tested for COVID at home for both of these and came up negative. And then I went and tried to get a PCR And I went really late, like I think like 10, 12 days into the illness. And of course, it comes up negative. That's that's a tip I have for those for those of you who are, you know, maybe don't have long COVID, but are wondering about it. Anytime you have a viral illness, I would get a COVID test just because this is something the doctor told me from Kaiser that when I was first like kind of going through getting diagnosed, they're like, yeah, this is like when I had been sick for like 12 days and they're like, yeah, go get a COVID. COVID test because if you end up having long COVID, it's hard to be believed if you haven't had a positive test. It's hard to get into like research and clinical trials, some like programs that treat long COVID, like those long COVID centers of excellence clinics won't take you if you haven't had a positive test. So 
yeah, it might be worth it going to get tested if you have any kind of viral illness. I wish I really had been more on top of that. And if you have not, if you're in the same boat I am, like probable long COVID diagnosed, um, know that that's about 15% of people that probably have long COVID have never actually had a positive test. You're certainly not alone or not silly or not stupid for going to get it done. And you have me in your on your team because, yeah, I never actually had a positive test, but it's presumptively diagnosed just based on everything that happened after. So anyway, back to life in late 2022. Um, yeah, it was pretty much sick after that, like until about January, um, just felt like I had like a bad flu, bad cold that never went away, really sore throats. Um, in January, I was feeling better. I was able to start exercising again. But at the, that time, I was also just going through a lot of life stress. Um, my mom, who has dementia, had a really significant deterioration in her mental health around January to the point where she had to be hospitalized and she was really agitated, really suffering. She had to have a one-on-one like sitter with her all the time. And that was just like really hard to see. And then like, meanwhile, I'm still not feeling great. I'm really overcommitted in my coaching practice and feeling a little burned out. I'm really overcommitted to some things in my personal life, my volunteer life. I've, as we do, said yes to things I probably should, should have said no to. So this all adds up, I believe, to a pretty significant relapse in March. Um, all my symptoms that had gone away came back. And then I also became dizzy. I had tingling now in my hands and my feet and my face. And I also developed like really bad heartburn, which I'd never had before, which just seemed weird. Um, So I started going to, um, I'm a Kaiser member. I'm on the exchange here in Colorado. So Kaiser is one of the more affordable plans. So, and they did have a doctor that was seeing the long COVID patients. And so I started to go see that doctor and he put me on a lot of expensive supplements that didn't really do anything. And I also went through Kaiser's long COVID class, which was honestly kind of a waste of time. (laughs) It was all about like, get enough sleep get social support, talk to people about your feelings. And like, meanwhile, they're like doing nothing to like manage or treat it other than like, I don't know, it was just so ridiculous. At this early time, like I was researching on my own, I knew about treatments like low dose naltrexone. And I asked my doctor at Kaiser for it. And they were like, yeah, we won't prescribe it because the research isn't in. And I'm like, asshole, I didn't say asshole to the doctor, but I'm thinking, asshole, it's not going to be there's getting the research is not going to be in for 10 more years. So am I just supposed to fucking sit here, (laughs) which apparently at Kaiser was the case. And I don't know, it just got to the point where they were like the doctor would say things to me like your disease is mild, you're probably just going to get better, which actually didn't happen. And he would say things like you're identifying with your disease and making yourself someone with chronic illness. And I was just kind of like, well, I do have a chronic illness. It is energy limiting. It is life limiting. I can't work as much. I can't do as much. I can't exercise at all. You know, why wouldn't I like identify with that. So I don't know, some gaslighting going on there. So and, and like during this time, I was, I was really committed to the idea that I was going to heal this naturally. So I started doing actually a lot of good health things like breath work, meditation, kind of pacing myself on my day, taking lots of rest, kind of 
cutting out toxic people activities that were low value, um, really uh, like fine tuning down my to do list. And I mean, it didn't real. I mean, it helped to some degree. I think I think it wasn't bad things to do, but I was still pretty sick. And then finally, in July, got fed up with Kaiser and the doctors, and I actually started going via telehealth to a nurse practitioner that only treats long COVID patients. And it's concierge. I gotta like pay out of pocket, but. Man, that was the game changer. So she actually prescribed for me the low-dose naltrexone, which is what I wanted from Kaiser like months ago. And she's like, and like, it was awesome. Like I really worked with her, worked with the pharmacy. The pharmacy had had some other um, long COVID patients taking it. And they were like, we want you to start with like a really low dose because sometimes it causes upset stomach. It causes people not to sleep well. We want you just to really ease into it. So, and they were all like, you probably won't feel anything for weeks until we increase the dosage. So I was taking the lowest dosage. I was like 0.5 milligrams or something like that, or 0.5 grams. I can't remember Uh, (laughs) the half of something. So I'm taking this and then like, I'm taking it for three days and I'm like, nothing's really happening. And then on like the third day, I woke up in the middle of the night, like sat up in bed and was like, something is different. Like there's calm in my body. Like my heartbeat is normal. It's not racing as it often did in the middle of the night. And it just felt so different. And since that day, I've been so much better. And there still have been ups and downs, especially as I've started to become more active. I've had to take more naltrexin to keep like symptoms from breaking through. But man, it's it, it really worked like incredibly well for me. Like talk about the magic bullet that everyone says doesn't exist does not work for everyone um I'll talk a little bit in a moment just about like my symptoms. It, it tends to work more well for people. It tends to work for people like me better than some other forms of long COVID. Um, but yeah, in my case, pretty amazing. So yeah, so I, I was going to answer a couple questions I, I, I put out on the Instagram. I was like, do you guys have any questions for me just about long COVID, what it's like? One of the questions was, yeah, well, like what symptoms and I think before I talk about my symptoms, it's so important to understand that everyone is so different. Like there's there's like 200 different symptoms of this syndrome that are described. It's actually believed that it's probably more than one syndrome, more than one underlying process that's causing people to have these post-viral syndromes and be sick for a long time after. So for me, kind of the flavors I have, it looks a lot like another post-viral disease, which is called chronic fatigue syndrome. Um, The difference is I don't get super fatigued, but I have all the other symptoms of that. I get tired, um, but not really crushing fatigue, like someone with kind of classic presentation of it would have, but definitely have dysautonomia, sore throat, racing heart. Um, For a while had like, um, just like feeling dizzy when standing up, POTS, post- what the, I can never remember what POT stands for. It's like orthostatic, postural orthostatic something syndrome, tachycardia syndrome, (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, 
A lot of my stuff was also like on the neurological side. They call it neuropask, so kind of the haywire heart, tachycardia, palpitations, brain fog. I still get that once in a while. I actually had that a couple of weeks ago. I was actually, I don't know if I was like just genuinely having some neurological issues or if I was just tired of working, but I just like hit a point where I'm like, I know that I need to finish this project for work, but I cannot write another sentence. My brain will not string words together, which is kind of funny. It also shows up as I have a lot of trouble with time. If you're one of my clients, you'll notice like I keep screwing up my calendar. And for a while also, it was um, spatial. So I was always like trying to drop my... I live in a neighborhood in Denver that's pretty dense and all the houses look the same. And I was always trying to drop my friend off at the wrong block, even though I know exactly where he lives, which is kind of funny. Um, So brain fog, dizziness, tingling in the extremities, post-exercise malaise, used to in the beginning got really tired after exercise and after a while didn't necessarily get tired but one to two days after all of my symptoms would get a lot worse especially if I try to do intense cardio or lift weights um, and then persistent viral symptoms like I had a really sore throat and also strangely like really sore inside my ears Um, Someone asked about sleep. Did you have sleep issues? When I actually had COVID, I'm kind of a bad sleeper like my whole life. It was actually like the best sleep of my life. I think that's where the fatigue showed up. I would sleep like 11, 12 hours a night and just sleep the whole time and have like really like detailed dreams. And I'm like, oh, this is what it's like to actually sleep well. So and as I get better, my sleep gets worse. So I actually take um, CBD for sleep and then use some self-hypnotic techniques. So have been sleeping actually better since I've had long COVID, which is kind of funny. I think that's the opposite of what a lot of people have. And also a question that came up, like, what treatments have you tried? So I'll share some things that didn't work. Um, supplements, I got, pers- I got recommended a lot of supplements that just did nothing. So NAD, NAC, fish oil, yeah, I don't think it actually did anything. Um, I was told to take antihistamine. I don't know that that I take it anyway because I have seasonal allergies in the spring and the fall. I don't know that it did anything amazing for my long COVID. I tried the low histamine diet, but it just became, I don't know, it's like a really stringent diet. <laughs> so I had a really hard time just like sticking with it. And yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm already limited in so many areas of life. Like, even if this works, I'm not sure like how much mental energy I have to actually do it and just eat like really bland, the same bland, terrible food for every day of my life forever. So didn't really, I kind of do like a light form of it where I try to eat like one low histamine meal a day and then drink like just, you know, a little bit of coffee. If I have alcohol, try to keep that just to one glass, one serving, um, But yeah, like none of those I thought was like a real game changer. So what did help? Um, The low dose naltrexin. So and people are like, what is that? So naltrexin is actually a drug that is given to people. It's probably best known. um, It's prescribed to people that have opioid addiction. And it's an opioid blocker, receptor blocker. I hope I said that right. So what it does is um, if you're taking it and you like shoot up heroin, for example, you won't like feel a rush or a buzz. You'll just feel normal. There's no pleasure from it because it actually blocks those pleasure signals in your brain. And it's also sometimes prescribed for the same reason for for alcoholics, people that are trying to quit alcohol. 
And, um, yeah, so it does that in like doses of like 60 grams, 60 grams, milligrams. <laughs> I cannot remember. I'm going to say milligrams, 60 milligrams. Um, and then I take like two right now, two or three, depending on, no, I take two. Yeah, I, I can't do, like I said, I can't do math and not since I've had long COVID. <laughs> yeah, I take two milligrams. So I, it's a very low dose, but often prescribed for people with like neuroinflammation, neurological diseases. Um, it, it like can help people with multiple sclerosis, um, people with like, um, autoimmune disorders, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and now more recently being like tried in smaller trials for people with long COVID. And a lot of those trials have been very positive, but they're pretty small scale at this point, which is probably why Kaiser wouldn't prescribe it. But if you are um, someone with long COVID, especially someone that has like neuro symptoms, dysautonomia, things that kind of look like chronic fatigue, it might be something worth checking out. Um, if you can't get it from your um, primary care doctor, you can sometimes get it online um, via telehealth like I did. So definitely keep looking if you think it's something that might help. And then other things that might help. Um, I, w- I went vegetarian, which felt really good. I'm not sure if it actually had a whole lot to do with my symptoms, but I just felt lighter, cleaner, clearer. Um, I think it did a lot of other good things for my body. I do a lot of breath work, meditation, starting the morning with a practice. So that's really great for just like tone, like calming down your vagus nerve, which in a, especially in the neurological types of long COVID has been implicated as something that's kind of inflamed and maybe damaged by the virus. Um, so breath work, um, any practice really that just kind of tones your, that kind of calms down your vagus nerve and induces mindfulness, I think is really helpful. And yeah, I get I got um exercise treadmill testing before I started exercising more just to make sure everything was healthy, heart was healthy, lungs were healthy, got cleared to exercise before I started doing a lot of exercise, which I also recommend. And then I just got a really brutal. I think this was really key. I got brutal about getting all the stressful shit out of my life and just I'm like we can no longer like believe these stories and play these games about like what Sarah has to do to be a good person. Even if I'm a bad person, if I won't be a person at all, I got to get rid of some of this shit. So I'll talk a little bit about that as we go along here. And then like kind of where I'm at now, it's really a balancing act between um, my activity levels, but increasing a lot the last couple months. So I do get like breakthrough symptoms and I'm still on a pretty low dose of naltraxone. I can increase it quite a bit still. So it's just kind of been a balancing act to find out like what dose helps, um, yeah, it like how and I also have a question about how active I should be just cuz we don't know like what the disease process is that's causing all this. Am I aggravating it? Am I masking the symptoms with the naltraxone? So, kind of feeling into all that, like what what all that's going to look like. Um, I still have trouble with intensity, with weightlifting, um, but I'm able to do like very long cardio as long as it's pretty moderate and not have too much trouble. And uh, another thing I'm just kind of walking through, I kind of like went crazy once this medication started to work and like backslid on all the really healthy habits that I was doing. So the past few months have just been kind of, uh, yeah, like like kind of um, getting back to that, like making sure that I'm eating healthy, dr- not over drinking, not over scheduling myself, not overworking, not saying yes to shit that I shouldn't 
wouldn't be saying yes to. So that's kind of like where the work is right now for me, staying healthy and then just kind of figuring out like what what's going to be healthy as far as like balancing activity with taking medication. So that's what's going on, y'all. Are you ready for my seven lessons? I'm going to walk through them with you right now. So in no particular order, these are just seven things that I have really kind of learned through this experience or things that I think just might help other people who are walking a similar path. So first one, I like this one. It's kind of trippy dippy, but I think like when I heard this, I was like, oh, this really helps. And it's the idea that chronic illness is a shamanic initiation. And the first um, teacher to introduce this idea to me is Lauren Eliz Love. I'll put a link to her website on um the show notes. She has a lot of very affordable programs, by the way, if you um have a chronic illness. She actually had chronic Lyme disease and like healed from that and had that for a couple of years though. And it was a pretty intense like process to get healed from it. So it, it is really, she really um, has like walked the walk and I really love her programs, love her approach. I will so definitely check those out if you think that's something that might help you. But yeah, she, in one of her podcasts about, she did a couple podcasts just about her journey with chronic illness. And she talked talked about like let's see this as a shamanic a shamanic shamanic initiation meaning the universe is signaling you that it's time for a shift that's what's happening when there's a chronic illness showing up in your body and it's really saying it is time to burn away the old and make room for the new and often it happens when you're living a life that's really unsustainable or out of integrity and this illness really is an invitation to get back in right relationship with yourself, even if that means like taking some really hard steps and going through like a really intense like change and restructuring process. So I love that. I think this was so true for me. And for me, what did it look like? One thing that it has really taught me that having this chronic illness, this energy limiting illness, it's really taught me to like fucking stick up for myself. I'm a, someone that tends to put others needs first. Um, I grew up in a household where that was kind of my reason to exist, to take care of my parents' emotional needs and to be sunny and agreeable and sweet and perfect so that they would just feel good all the time, which, you know, of course they didn't. I felt like such a failure and just kept trying and trying and as an adult, keep trying and trying. So I don't know. So like, I really feel like the chronic illness has been the thing that's finally like illuminated that shadow and helped me like kind of break free from it. And like a a really great example, I was on a committee with, um, like, um, early. So when did we start? I can't remember. It pretty much like coincided with like the, the early part of me having COVID and then like realizing it wasn't going away and then relapsing. I was on this committee actively doing work like during that whole process. And I was with people that were not really like believing or respecting my energy limitations. I tried to take some time off and people got mad and were talking about me behind my back. And I don't know, I I could feel that it was toxic. 
panic and that I shouldn't be there. But me being me, I kind of kept holding on because I was so scared to let friends down. And this was probably a factor in my exacerbation in March. So this committee, (laughs) looking back, was such a huge challenge. And it was a huge opportunity for my expansion. And I kind of realized as I was sitting there, I'm like, I like to believe that these people are my friends, that they care about me. And I'm not, honestly, now I question that. And no one's also going to give me permission to do what's best for me. I think I was kind of hoping that someone might be like, ah, Sarah, I see what you're going through. Like, take a break. And I was like, yeah, I kind of have to lead. I kind of have to take charge. I kind of have to set boundaries. I kind of need to you know, no one's going to do this for me. And that was like a really good kick in the pants for me. And that has since like, I think carried into lots of areas of my life in a way that's good. And then another way I think um, this shamanic initiation kind of burned it down and rebuilt me. It really burned down my business model, my coaching business model. I had kind of been on this train that I had to have 20 one-to-one clients, and I I was meanwhile undercharging, not setting good boundaries with these clients, working all hours of the day and night. So yeah, this experience really kind of shook me up, and I'm like, yeah, if I'm going to do this in any kind of sustainable way, especially if this chronic illness never goes away, which at the time I wasn't sure I would, I'm like, I got to have fewer clients, and I got to like be a good and valuable coach, and I have to like actually charge what I'm worth. So it's been a big year of just like professional development growth, like really kind of working on my skills and then just also working on my money mindset so that I'm able to actually, you know, charge what I'm worth and not just be like working for like fucking like nothing, like peanuts all the time, which gets to be very tiring and very demoralizing, especially when you have a lot of clients. It's it's nice to finally, I don't know, like finally be able to stand in my own value and be like, hey, what I've got is life-changing. It is amazing. It has worked for me. It has changed my life. It has changed clients' lives. And it also cost me something to get here. And yeah, I feel good. I feel like completely 100% cool with charging what I'm charging for people to come and receive that. So business model, another area. And it also kind of the other area where I had a lot of shaking up and burning down and remodeling was kind of in my caregiving relationship. Um, I'm like I said, I'm a dementia daughter. My mom has Alzheimer's. She lives in Colorado now, but um, she moved here when she first like really was showing a lot of symptoms and needing a lot of help. She was living in Ohio, so and I'm in Denver, Colorado, so I was like going back and forth. And at the time, there was a lot of questions about what was going to happen, and I had a lot of guilt about just not like moving back to Ohio to my home state to take care of my mom. And also, not for, even though she moved to Colorado, we moved her to Colorado. And after that, I was just kind of consumed with guilt that I didn't let her like move in with me and become a 24 seven caretaker. And I mean, I really like beat myself up about that and just had a lot of stories about myself and how I'm just terrible and a selfish daughter and just not doing what I should be doing. And, um, 
yeah, that kind of drove me to probably try to do more than I should have. And it also kept me from acknowledging all the things I really do do behind the scenes that were less glamorous and obvious. Things like handling all her personal and financial affairs and downsizing her house in Ohio and traveling back and forth to Ohio to take care of her before we moved here. So yeah, it definitely like kind of got me to get like really real with that and be like, hey, uh, we've got a situation where there's like a parent, <laughs> a parent that has already kind of been parented by their child for the first 18 years of that child's life that now, again, needs care. They only, they're not married. There's no one else that is around to take care of them except this one child who is working two jobs and living in a one-bedroom apartment. You know, it, you might not get exactly what you want in that case. This is the reality. And kind of just like making some peace around that and being like, you know, I do a lot and I can't just, I can't do everything. Like in honestly doing the things I, I beat myself up with and tell myself to do honestly don't make sense. I mean, I do actually have to work. I can't provide 24 seven care. I at some point also may need assisted living and need like some savings to live on. So yeah, that's been a big journey to get there. And I'm not sure I would have gotten there without like um, a chronic illness and a lot of energy limitations. So that's kind of been Number one, just that shamanic, thinking of it as a shamanic initiation, what needs like restructured, remodeled, like what might be the universe if you are a spiritual person kind of pointing you at with this, this chronic illness? What is the invitation with this chronic illness? Where do you need to get back in right relationship? All really good questions to ask yourself. So <laughs> another thing I learned, this one's kind of sad, but I think ultimately it's, it's best a good thing. Make friends, make intimate friends as well as activity partners. So yeah, I've, I've talked about this, I think, um, on Instagram, maybe on the podcast. My friendships have really reshuffled since being diagnosed with this chronic illness. If you think of your heart as a house and there's people that are very close to you that get to sleep in your bed and like hang out in your kitchen and hang out in your living room, and then there's maybe some people you keep a little more distant that are on the porch, and then there's maybe some people that are more like acquaintances, and they're, 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 you like them. They're, they're like... You have a connection with them, but it's not as close. Maybe they're like in the backyard sitting around the fire pit. So I had some people that were probably like hanging out in the kitchen, go to the fire pit. And I've actually had people come the other direction too, like through this whole chronic illness thing. And just some thoughts about it. I really wish um, I'd held people when it comes to friendship, when it comes to, you know, like, like, being a good friend. I really wish I'd held people to a higher standard early on. If you're walking through this and you're like holding a lot of space for people that are just kind of not getting it or saying hurtful things or gaslighting you. I did that too. I kind of was like, well, I might have done the same thing. I, I didn't really understand about chronic illness till I had a chronic illness. And I kind of made a lot of excuses for other people's bad behavior. <laughs> and I wish I had and I, I, I like kind of the thought under it was I'm not going to demand that they acknowledge what's happening to me. I'm not going to demand that they treat me a certain way. But yet I was still kind of like wanting them to understand and just like wanting them to come around 
And none of that anymore. I, I hold so much less space for all of that now. Like, I kind of try to really, with this shit, like, see people for who they are. And I did a lot of inner work around the idea that I really deserve to be seen, to be heard, cherished in my friendships. Like I said, like, I kind of grew up in a family where I was, like, kind of a means to an end that was in, like, that caretaking role. And I had to, like, really learn to believe that there were emotionally mature people out there who would care about me and like care about what's happening to me just because they're nice awesome people that like have empathy and yeah like it really took it really surprised me who that was not in a few cases because I'm like oh yeah I have a really tight friendship with this person and in two cases I can think of that was definitely not true those people made a big move from like the kitchen out to the yard and some people also moved in so at this San Juan September where I've been like traveling and going on these road trips to climb each weekend I've been with different people and I've just like really like it feels almost like a like a culmination of all that restructuring that happened this year around friendships, like really like leaning into the people that have the capacity to care and to be a good friend. And I just felt like really loved and held and valued and heard like on both of and all three of these trips. Like I just was like, oh, this is like what it can be like. This is so amazing. And I just felt like I was so open hearted and like wanting to feel be the same for other people. And I love there's a post, I'll try to link to it if I can find it, by one of my mentors, Simone Soul. And she talks about like in your relationships, the whole unconditionally cherished vibe, like like looking for people that just really cherish you and that are easy for you to cherish and how that's like what we really need to be like leaning into with our relationships. So that's kind of something that's been guiding me through that journey. And I'm really loving it. I'm like, wow, I really in my life have not always been the best like picker of people of friends of boyfriends because I tend to pick people that I like I can like take care of and rescue and support but you know I don't always get a whole lot back and now I feel like I'm finally like coming to the place where I'm getting so much back and it's just amazing so yeah that's been interesting Number three, one like lesson from long COVID, really the importance, this is kind of the reverse of two, the importance of seeing and holding others. There's a quote from an author that I love. She actually wrote a book. It's called The Lady's Handbook to Her Mysterious Illness. And a quote from that book is this, to have a mysterious illness is to be systematically unwitnessed. And it is so true. Like, yeah, it, and I certainly think, even though, you know, I've sometimes, like I said, I'm like expecting people to at least get the basics. Like I really had a hard time getting behind beyond the basics of understanding a chronic illness before I had a chronic illness. So I think back especially to earlier in the pandemic, um, when the vaccines first out, I had a friend who believed that she had a vaccine injury. She had a really bad reaction to the vaccine, and then she developed chronic illness symptoms after. And we were kind of friends from the yoga and breathwork community, which tends to be a little bit suspicious of vaccines in general. So I felt like 
there was, I mean, coming at me from that community, I felt like there was a fair amount of judgment on people who did what I would consider to be the responsible thing and get a vaccine. And honestly, I was a little bit tired of it. And because she did frame it as a vaccine thing, I honestly didn't have a lot of patience with it. And I never told her like straight up, like, I don't believe you or it might be something else, but I wouldn't be surprised if she kind of felt that in my vibe. And I really, really regret that now. Like now that I'm in the same boat, like <laughs> I'm like, oh, it just sucks like not to be like seen, not to be understand, to be systematically unwitnessed as Sarah Ramey says. And I really wish, you know, whatever my thoughts about vaccines and her thoughts about vaccines and our community's thoughts about vaccines. I really wish I had held space without judgment for what she was going through. And like, I think that would have been what a really good friend would have done. It's what I really wish. I really like desperately wish people would do for me. And it's, it's, it's also interesting. I heard a podcast not too long ago, an interview with someone who was actually diagnosed with a, with a rare vaccine injury. And she talked about like how she's almost like kind of envious of people that have long COVID because it's even more lonely to have this vaccine injury that people just tell her to her face, it's not real and that there's never vaccine injuries, which of course isn't true. Like all vaccines have side effects. Like I would say they're exceptionally rare. I I personally really believe the benefits outweigh the risks, but yeah, there are like the risk is never zero. So I thought that that was really interesting. Um, So number four, lesson from long COVID. I feel like I'm losing my voice. I'm going to move a little faster through these. I want to share the importance of taking rest very seriously. As a society, we have a really hard time resting. Have you noticed? (laughs) Sitting down and doing nothing and recharging is not of a value for us. We're like, why would you even do that? And it's really interesting. I did a rest challenge with coach Vicki Louise, and I was surprised how hard it was to sit and rest like even when I challenged myself to do it more. And I noticed as I was sitting, my brain would be asking questions like, what shall we accomplish during this hour? We've decided to do nothing. And it it was kind of funny, but also kind of enlightening just to watch my brain navigate through that. I think rest is especially hard for athletes. Um, I know a lot of you listening are athletes, and we know intellectually that exercise makes us weaker, and we have to rest and heal afterwards to get the benefits of exercise, but we don't do it as much as we should. I don't. I know I don't. And then when I was a personal trainer for hikers and mountain climbers, I would say like 100% of my clients were bad resters. They were like me. None of them rested as much as they should have. And as a result, burnout, overtraining were huge problems for this population. Um, And now that I have no choice but to kind of go by my body's rhythms, it, it really has like taught me to rest and to value resting. Um, It's interesting when I do these big 14er climbs that you see me doing on Instagram, I rest for like four or five days afterward. 
Um, and I definitely think I was not resting enough before because I feel so good <laughs> in that four or five days of rest. And I think I always imagined that if I rested for like five days after doing something that I would lose all my fitness. It's 100% not true. I, I actually, I'm back on training peaks, watching the numbers and my numbers been stable. Like I do a big hike and then rest, maybe do like one workout like during the week and then like something pretty moderate and then do another big climb over the weekend and then do a big rest. And honestly, like my fitness has been stable. Like that number actually hasn't moved. And I'm like, oh, I could have been resting a lot more before. It's kind of funny. So rest, really leaning into rest, getting more than you think you need is really good. Good for your mind. Good for your body. I really believe it. Number five, you don't need to, you don't need half that. <laughs> let me, let me speak this one without like gumming up my words. You don't need to do half of all the really important stuff on your to-do list. So when I was at my most sick, I probably had about five, four or five like productive hours in the day, which is honestly more than a lot of people with long COVID or other chronic illness have. But if you think about it, I had to use those four or five hours to work, to coach, to visit my mom and do her stuff, and then to get stuff done around my house. So I got like really good at saying no to stuff. And some things I would say no to were social events or invitations that I felt good but not great or delighted about. And I learned that I can clean my house like once a month or even sometimes less and nothing bad happens. The universe doesn't implode. And I used to do my business financials every week and now I do them every one to two months and my business is still humming along. It hasn't caused any problems. And if I don't get over to see my mom multiple times a week, maybe I just go and see her once a week. I mean, she doesn't love it, but nothing terrible happens. Everyone is still alive and hanging on. So yeah, just like really letting go of like a lot of the story. We have a lot of stories around what we should be doing and how often I encourage you to get very aggressive about questioning those. Maybe you can be doing a lot less and just still be just fine. Number six, my favorite one, I think that I'm going to call this one, stop micromanaging the universe. <laughs> so this is actually comes from a card in my Oracle deck. And it's all the card is all about flowing with the pace of life. And I pull this card really often, I think because I am a giant micromanager of the universe. And I mean, look no further than me being a personal trainer in my past life. I used to write the these elaborate training plans. And as an athlete, I would write training plans for myself as well. And when I wrote them for myself, they had everything to do with the date of the race and my goals, how fast I wanted to finish. And they actually very rarely had anything to do with where my body was actually at and what was like maybe realistic for me. So all that's changed now. I've stopped like trying to micromanage it all. I do have a goal to run an ultra in the next Next, like year or so. I mean, I say a year, but I'm kind of leaving it very open ended. And I'm just kind of letting 
what's the word? I'm, I'm letting, I'm just kind of taking it as it goes. I'm taking as much time as I need to get back there. I'm letting my body write the training plan. I literally have no training plan. I kind of just make it from week to week, day to day. Some weeks I still don't run at all if I'm just feeling like there's been a lot of load on myself. And if you want to see it all go down, like you can definitely follow me on Strava. I'll put the link in the show notes just to check it out. And it might take, will it take me a long time to get back this way? Potentially, but it's probably going to take me longer if I try to make some unrealistic training plan and just completely like crash my system and get really sick again. So yeah, that's what, that's what's going on. Stop micromanaging the universe, whatever your version of that is. And number seven, let's do this one. We're going to call it gratitude every minute. And to be honest, I used to be really annoyed with the idea of gratitude. I'm not sure why. Maybe some of you can relate. I think there's a little bit of entitlement there. (laughs) There's like a story that I deserve way more than I'm fucking getting in this life. Like like kind of there's some self-pity, I think. And I'm like, I'm not going to like like give in and be grateful when I should be getting so much more. So one of the best things about having had like an enforced year off from exercise is, for example, now how much I enjoy every minute outside, every little two mile run, every little hike in the foothills. It's all magic. And I know it sounds so corny, but I am like so grateful for every minute out there. And it feels amazing. And it feels a lot healthier than the demanding, entitled me that was kind of there before. And it like this feeling that I have now actually reminds me of when I first moved to Colorado from Ohio. And I remember just like looking around at all the beauty and going like, holy shit, look at that. Holy shit, look at that. Like everything was just so amazing. Like it was like being on drugs or something I can't even describe. And now I've been here like over 20 years. So I don't feel that way anymore. I'm just kind of like, it's pretty, but I'm not like, it's not like mind blowing anymore, except now after long COVID, everything is feeling a little mind blowing. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm out here. I am seeing this. Like it's definitely like almost given myself, my system a reset in a way that's really magical. And I'm just able to appreciate everything so much more. And it just feels so good. I would say weirdly, it's one of the strangest gifts of this whole chapter of my life. So there's my seven lessons. I hope there was something interesting, useful, encouraging, hopeful for you in there. If you are walking a chronic illness path, definitely join me on Instagram. Join the Long COVID Zombie Club, hashtag Long COVID Zombie Club. I'll put it in the um, the show notes so you can just find it really fast. Follow me, follow that hashtag. I definitely, it's not the only, um, long COVID isn't the only thing I post about, but in my coaching practice, I do work with a fair number of people with chronic illness. It's one of the things that I really feel like I have a, like a lot of help to give with that. So yeah, it's, it is something that I post about um, quite often. I've thought about doing a Facebook group for the Long COVID Zombie Club. It might happen. I kind of feel like people with this disease need like community. Um, it's an invisible illness, like we talked about. There's not um, a lot of acknowledgement out there. People tend to forget what that, like, even though we look okay, we actually feel sick like every day and that that is such a burden. So I think being with like, like-minded people just to like share what that's like is awesome. So look out for that. And then 
hang out on this podcast because making invisible illnesses visible is something I'm really passionate about. So if you're not a subscriber, if you're listening to this as a one-off, I'd love to have you as one of my subscribers. And I'm sure we'll be talking quite a bit about long COVID because it's not really over for me. I feel like I'm well-managed, but not really recovered is what I call it. And there may be a year too where we kind of walk through the second year of this journey. What's helping? What has the story been? What's what, like? What are the lessons now? So definitely come join me on all my platforms if this is a topic you're interested in and something that you are going through. Friends, that is a long-ass podcast. That is 50 minutes. I will tear myself away now and stop talking your ear off. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Well, I don't know. Maybe you're listening to this in the morning. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful night. And either way, I will see you back here next week.